You're listening to the Loveland Strong Podcast, sharing stories of struggle, endurance, and hope for the people of the Sweetheart City. Hey, hey! Welcome back to the Loveland Strong Podcast. Bryce and Lily here with you once more. Glad to have you along for another interview and another perspective on how hope exists here in the sweetheart city of Loveland, Colorado. First, let me catch you up on a little bit what's going on in the podcast. We have five episodes out now, and so far I'd say that the response has been moderately successful. Honestly, I didn't know what to expect trying something like this. I've never done a podcast before. Well, I guess that's not true. I podcast my sermon every Sunday, but that's something I preach in front of people and just put on the internet. That's completely different from sitting here in my studio, aka my closet in my bedroom, and putting on an interview that I've pre-recorded and trying to provide some context to it. trying to stimulate some thoughts in your head and helping you see where hope and encouragement can be found. So yes, it's been quite the experience, and if you found value in this, I would love to hear what you think I'm doing well. If you got any critiques for me, any sort of suggestions on how I can improve as the next Terry Gross from NPR, so to speak, I would love to hear that too. We've got enough of a sample size of this podcast out. We're just any sort of feedback or input is welcome. I want to make this better. I want to make sure that the instances of hope here in Loveland are clearer to you and maybe more people that you know who are hopeful who I could talk to. I am absolutely open for your thoughts, so please feel free to fire an email or two to lovelandstrong at gmail.com, and I'd love to start a conversation with you continue this process of cultivating encouragement in this hard point in history. Beyond that, wanted to share that we are averaging around 21 listens per episode, which, again, I'd say is relatively good. I'm not going to be Joe Rogan or Mark Marin or any of the legendary podcasters here for a while yet, but I'm grateful to every one of the 20 people who tune in every week, and I would love for you to share this on if you're finding any sorts of notes of value in it. Folks, we all know people who are struggling right now, so if you feel they could draw something from this, please feel free to share it away. You can grab the the link off of the Podbean page if that's where you're at, or on our Facebook page, you can share a post on anybody's wall. It's so easy to do, so I'd love your help growing this podcast and continuing to see where it leads. All right. Another last update for you. Uh, wanted to tell you what's going on with HNS. Regrettably, I have not been able to connect with Glory Magram in person since our interview. We've emailed back and forth, but she does not unfortunately have the time to sit down and do a follow-up interview with me to tell you how House of Neighborly Service is doing as Christmas approaches. That, in turn, relates a message unto itself, I think. I mean... Glory will talk to anybody at any time. She's one of the friendliest human beings I've ever met. And so if she is busy and can't find 10 minutes to say hello, you know that House of Neighborly Service is jumping. 
There is a lot going on, a lot of need out there. So anything that uh, was mentioned in that episode, and please feel free to go back and re-listen to it if you need to. Anything that was listed as a need, a donation request, I'm betting HNS could use that as the big day nears. So many blessings go out to Glory and her team for all the work they continue to do. And hopefully we can support them as a community as Christmas approaches. Okay, now we've caught up and we're on our current interview today. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Thompson Schools District Superintendent Mark Schaefer. Great interview. I got a lot out of it. Education's one of those areas that's really meaningful and important to my life, mainly because, as I mentioned a couple times, my spouse is an educator. She's a special education teacher in Greeley schools and has been a public school teacher for the last, oh, I don't know, 12 years or so. So yes, we're very concerned with the realm of public education shaping young lives and we know all the issues that goes on with that in this household, the, the effects of standardized tests, the many government agencies who have to come in and oversee, the politics that go on in inter-school issues and within a district. It is not easy, and sometimes it's hard to find hope in that on the normalist of days. But for Mark Schaefer, goodness, as you'll hear, he is one optimistic man. When I tell you to look for the hopers, friends, that's my message I share at the end of every one of these podcasts. When I tell you to look for the hopers, Mark Schaefer is one of those people I have in mind because he just has that unique ability to look at a situation and to see what's good about it. It may be a dire set of a dire environment. Hard things are happening. But I think Mark Schaefer could look at anything and say, there's the silver lining. There's the great thing we build off of. Let's do that. Just a very good interview. And to learn his ethos on education was wonderful. And to just talk about what it's been like shifting an in-person institution like schools onto the online venues. I I don't know. I think this is going to be the episode that affects the most of our listeners so far. I mean, the amount of people who have had to use HNS's House of Neighborly Services service during the COVID pandemic has remained in the minority, and hopefully it stays that way and we can continue to decrease the number as the economy gets better. A small amount are involved with the city government, as Mayor Jackie Marsh told us during her interview, so that one maybe didn't affect most of us directly. Chef Clay and Better Gumbo, the restaurant industry is pretty big around here, and that does employ a fair amount of people, so that did have an impact, I'm sure. But today, so many of us know a student who's in the public school. They, they either live with us, they are your kids, your grandkids, members of your family are dealing with this shift that most public schools are having to go through, this decision about whether to stay in person or to move online and how to navigate the social implications of it all. I mean, I I can tell you firsthand, seeing my daughter go through online education, there's a lot of things happening under the surface. Not being being able to be in person, not having the attention of teachers or anybody outside your nuclear family for the most part, that's doing something to kids. It's causing a lot of behavioral issues around here, 
And I I'm, know that many of my peers who are millennial young parents, they're dealing with the same stuff. So it was very reassuring for me to hear somebody like Mark Schaefer, who's got such a good view on things. And if he speaks with his employees, his teachers, like he did with me, I'm betting they find a lot of encouragement going forward. They find a lot of hope in what they're doing. I pray that we can all hear that in our discussion now, that the hope he feels, the good things he knows are happening, can become ours if we choose to pursue them. All right, so let's get on to the good stuff. This interview was recorded on Friday, October the 9th, 2020, via Zoom. to be joined today by the superintendent of Thompson Valley Schools, Mark Schaefer. Mark, thank you for being with me this morning. Thanks so much, Pastor Bryson. It's uh, my privilege and honor. All right. So please just kind of introduce yourself to people. Let them know who you are, what you do, and how you fit into this giant scheme that is the Loveland community. Sure. Well, uh, this is my 28th year in public education, and um, I'm starting my third year here uh, in the Thompson School District. And um, my heart and passion has always been in education, even from even when I was in middle school and high school. I, I've always worked with kids. I was a, uh, a lifeguard and a camp counselor, a babysitter. You know, I've always just um, just derive so much um, satisfaction and pleasure working with uh, you know kids and students. Uh, so from a career standpoint, I was pretty dialed in even at an early age that I wanted to enter education. And so I've I've served a lot of roles in education. I've been a classroom teacher for ten years at both the middle and high school levels. Um, in terms of administration, I've been. Uh, a dean of students at a high school, uh, an assistant principal and principal at a middle school. And then at the um, district level, I've been a director, director of middle school education. I've been an assistant superintendent of secondary education. And uh, right now I'm the, super, the current superintendent here in Thompson. Um, from a career standpoint, I've work, uh, worked in actually eight different school districts. So I've been in wow. quite a few, uh, over three states. So um, uh, originally from Illinois, uh, so I, I worked in Illinois, but I spent about nine years in Arizona, and now I'm, I think I'm starting my eighth year here in Colorado. In, in Colorado, I've worked for the Douglas County School District, uh, Boulder Valley School District in Boulder, and now again here in Thompson. So pretty big, wide array, uh, big diversity of uh, uh, educational experiences. Yes, indeed. It seems like you're kind of that prototypical person who came from the ground up, who became the CEO after starting out as a, in the delivery room or the mail room. <laughs> it's, uh, it's true. I've actually, uh, you know, having experienced many roles in education, I, 
uh, it helps to inform my perspective being, you know, not only a classroom teacher and seeing what, what that's like, but also being a building level administrator and now, uh, you know, serving here at the district office. So that, that has, you know, provided me with a lot, just a broad range of experiences. But through it all, uh, you know, my passion is still about kids. That's what keeps me energized and motivated. And um, quite honestly, working here as a superintendent at the district level, I get to impact over 15,000 students. So you know, as a classroom teacher, it might be, you know, 30 students or so. Here it's 15,000. And so that's, that's super meaningful to me. Yeah. So, so describe, when you described your background a few seconds ago, you were talking how you were uh, a camp counselor, how you were a lifeguard. Those are positions that, I mean, sort of like teaching, they involve imparting information and shaping younger lives. What is it about that process of shaping younger lives that is so fascinating to you? Why, why are you passionate about it? You know, I've always been a, a kid at heart. And so, you know, I think the jobs that we're in, especially today, tend to be very serious. But um, I love to find joy and laughter. And I think working with kids have always just kept me um, youthful and energetic. Uh, you know, kids have a curiosity. Uh, kids have an innocence. Um, kids, um, you know, have a level of intelligence that um, whether they're young, elementary age, or all the way through high school and even college, uh, they're quite brilliant, quite honestly. And so um, when we when we really listen to kids and when we take the time to, to let them reflect to us what their needs <clears throat> and experiences are, um, we learn a lot. We not only learn a lot um, about their needs, but we, we learn a lot about ourselves. And so, um, you know, even working as a, as a camp counselor and as a lifeguard, um, you know, and that's certainly more playful and fun. Um, but even back then, it was just just brought a lot of joy, uh, just working with kids and, and, and really seeing the world through their eyes as well. So since you've had all this experience and all the educational system, I just got to know, what was your favorite role to have teaching, administrator? What was your favorite role to have before you got here? Wow, that is a, that's a great question. Um, so... <laughs> I think uh, and I've, I've, there's something about everything that I've done that I've always loved. But if I if I had to choose one, it would probably be a classroom teacher. And I would be even more specific. When I uh, taught in Arizona, I was at a high school, and uh, I taught seniors. So I was I, I taught senior English. Uh, in addition to that, I uh, coached speech and debate. And I also was the student council advisor. So this was a pretty huge high school, over 3,000 students. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, and we had, you know, I, class sizes, I had class sizes pushing 40 kids. Uh, so uh, these are big kids, they're 12th graders in, in small classrooms. So that uh, certainly was a lot of fun. But um, I don't know, I, I just, if I had to just pick a time that I was most energized and and just had fun um, I think that that would be it and it just uh, was a, a, a very happy time in my life and again I'm, I'm super happy now but it was it's, it seemed things seemed just very uncomplicated um, and I just had a just a sheer joy and passion for what I was doing uncomplicated boy that is not a word we can use to describe the current moment in our world is it no absolutely not well, even before COVID and 
racial unrest and all, all the stuff we're dealing with hit. Uh, public education was kind of a tense world. Uh, uh, my wife is a teacher, so I have a pretty decent knowledge of it. I know there was some, I mean, there's always tension between standardized testing scores and uh, my wife teaches in a very high immigrant population so there's a lot of social factors that are playing in there it it's, was not easy to be in the public school system before all this so just tell us what the, it's been like for you since last march since just all these additional issues and weight started popping up what it's what has it been like for you as a superintendent what are you seeing in the people you lead kind of give us an overview if you would so from the the highest thirty thousand foot level i would say that our um, mission remains the same and that is to um, provide the highest quality of educational experiences for our students uh, schools exist to serve the needs of kids and whether we're in a pandemic or whether things are quote unquote normal, um, that's why we're here. And now more than ever, our, our students need us. I would say that um, providing a fidelity um, and quality of education is extraordinarily important um, you know, for, for, for many, for most. Uh, you know, education is that kind of, not only the great equalizer, but that stabilizer. People rely on schools to, provide a, a sense of normalcy. And um, I, I do believe at my core that kids get one shot at education. And so from pre-kindergarten through 12th grade, and then many um, might go post-secondary as well, but they get one chance at it. And we don't have the opportunity really to repeat third grade or repeat eighth grade, that each year is super important. So even since March, since the pandemic, that really continues to be my guiding light that we have a, a duty um, to provide um, first-rate quality education. Now, what further complicates matters is just the world around us. It's not just the health and safety with the pandemic, but it's the social-emotional needs of our students. It's the, the, the issues that students are facing either personally, maybe with family, maybe with friends, maybe just within the world around them. So um, kids are coming not only with the need to be educated, but also have this extra weight on their um, to, to, to make sense of the, uh, the nonsensical in some, uh, some ways. Um, competing with social emotional needs, we also have just basic needs. We have um, levels of food insecurity within our community. We have economic hardship, uh, maybe loss of jobs um, or different financial positions, which may create struggle. Um, we have this notion of isolation. Kids are, um, there's less socialization as a result of being in virtual learning environment. And in some cases, especially over the summer where we were more in kind of a, a collective quarantine where, you know, you, you couldn't get out as much or things weren't as open. So we have a lot of things competing for like what we're trying to accomplish in education, and that is just the education of kids and, and providing um, a quality of, of learning, teaching and learning. Um, but what, what competes against that are the other, um, the other factors, which are from social emotional to economic, to health and safety, to food, um, even um, shelter living conditions, you know, the economic. Uh, so all of that, I think, creates that collective weight on kids. And um, I don't want to say gets in the way. I just think it, it just sets up additional barriers that, you know, we have to be skillful and navigate. 
I, I want to lift up a couple things that you said there that I think are just completely true. Uh, the the idea of school being this foundational element, this uh, grounding element, that is just so true, especially for for kids coming from lower socioeconomic situations and uh, difficult family situations. Oftentimes, their school, their teachers are the only stable presence they have, the only uh, positive mentors they get. And in the case of my wife's school, they have a massive food distribution program that's based out. It's for the entire community. So they have not just students, but parents and uh, relatives who come in and eat at the school. So to lose that, it, it's like a boat that's had its anchor cut uh, in choppy seas. They are automatically just tossed about. It, it becomes a vastly difficult time. And even for quote unquote, normal families, it's this way. I mean, people working nine to five jobs, good jobs, like the one I'm blessed to have. I mean, when your kid is home and uh, online learning's happening, you realize how wonderful it was to have that stable presence that was the school day, the physical school for them to go to, because now they're home, now it's all unpredictable. Yes, uh, just everything you said about the school being foundational to community, to learning development. I, I'll give that a definite amen. Yeah, it's, uh, thank you. I mean, that's, uh, I think we, we play an important role and it's, it's really the necessary partnerships we also have with our community, our families, um, our students, which I think creates that stabilizing force. So are, are you seeing, you mentioned the, the, the emotional impact on students. Are you seeing a lot more of that? Are your teachers dealing with increased difficulties? Here's the challenge. Uh, the challenge is that um, a lot of our uh, interpersonal relationships are now done via a computer screen. Um, and when we have uh, children present in, in our classrooms, we, we have a better eye on them, right? We interact with them. We can see maybe some of those unspoken things. We can read their maybe changes in behavior or maybe they're struggling. Um, when we're interfacing with them virtually, some of that is hidden. A lot of that is hidden, and we may not, it may not be clear to us. Now, sometimes it's obvious, you know, maybe um, little Johnny wasn't on, you know, on, present in a class for the last two or three days. That could be a signal of, hmm, that's, that's interesting. Um, but I can't necessarily tell through a computer screen if someone hasn't been eating for a couple of days mm -hmm. or if there's um, you know challenges within the house, so um, we our, our teachers and our staff and those that work closest with kids are are very perceptive and um, but it's hard to to know you know um, I think um, authentically and I so I think we 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 recognize that there there are um, there are for sure some challenges um, but sometimes it's more difficult to to pinpoint that and um, sometimes we have to be a little more creative in, in how we might be able to continue providing that necessary support so much about what humans recognize in each other comes from face-to-face -face contact we're, we're built to to decipher that in each other when we're in the same physical space and when we don't have that ability you don't see as much of that i, I also think uh to your point, sometimes the virtual world does show us more than we need to know. Uh, if, if you ask my wife about her experiences, she would tell you that there's some times when she's trying to teach kids via Zoom and 
Uh, she's hearing an older sibling or a parent playing a first-person shooter video game right next to them because that's where the computer is or uh, there's a domestic squabble going on in the background. So uh, at the same time, most of the ways we can see how they're doing have been turned off. You see additional ways, additional things going on in the background too. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually a really good point. And, and actually in, in some ways, um, even though it can seem impersonal, it can also seem super intimate because mm. you're getting a view directly into household, either in, you know, kind of living rooms, kitchens, bedrooms, what have you, which typically is off limits, you know, in a, in a traditional kind of setting. Yep. You get a peep right into their most intimate, I mean, into their house, into their lives. Yeah. So it, it's a very hard time in education in the world right now. You, you've shared some of the stressors that you're going through, that your teachers and students are going through. How are you coping with that? How are you enduring? How are your employees enduring? What, what's the struggle been like? So um, personally, um, I am, um, I can't even say I'm a glass half full. I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a totally full glass. I, I just, I try to live a life of positivity and try to find joy in as much as I can. Um, I, this is the first time in my career, uh, like I said, I, I've worked in a number of school districts, but this is the first time in my career that I actually live in the district that I'm working in. And so I'm a, I'm a resident of Loveland. It was a requirement of my uh, superintendent contract that I actually live with my family here in the district. And I'm so glad that I do. So uh, my daughter, who's uh, in eighth grade, attends one of our Thompson schools. Uh, my wife actually uh, also works in the district. So the Schaefer family is really all in uh, to the Thompson School District, which provides me with, I think, a very authentic and unique perspective. Not only am I the superintendent, but I'm also a parent and I'm also a community member. And so the decisions that I make are very, very impactful and important, but I think it gives me um, a sense of uh, you know, what, what, what is happening here is really important. And I don't want to be a spectator. Like I want to, I certainly want to be all in and involved. Um, I, I love this community. You know, I, um, you know, I, as a superintendent, I'm like a, a teacher maybe, or, or other positions as superintendent, I'm a superintendent 24 seven. And so I'm recognized, you know, I'll go for my walks in the community. I'll be in the, the grocery store, what have you. And people are, are, are nice. Actually, they're really nice. You know, when I walk through my community, um, people will wave or they'll, they'll honk their horns or they'll, um, and you know, when I first moved here, uh, it was a little bit odd because I'm like, wow, I literally feel like a politician and I don't, you know, like I'm always waving and giving people thumbs up. And, um, but I, I've come to appreciate that uh, people are pretty friendly, pretty darn friendly in the community. And, 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 I, and I find a lot of joy in that, you know, that uh, even given these very difficult times and the difficult decisions that I make, and I know that not everyone agrees with the decisions that I'm making all the time. Um, uh, people at their core are, are friendly. Uh, some, many will stop and even engage me in conversation. Um, and so that just shows me that the at least from my neighbors, um, and that's capital N neighbors, because it's not just in my immediate area, but really throughout the community, are, are really interested in what we're doing here in the school district. Um, I think um, our employees, we have 2,100 employees in the Thompson School District, and um, I get joy in their agility and their resiliency and their positivity. It is not easy right now to be in their roles. 
And I also recognize that every role is important here in the district. And so whether you're a classroom teacher or you're a nutrition service worker or a bus driver or operations custodian, every job matters. And I notice that people take great pride in the work they're doing and they want to do well and great and serve uh, students in the district. And I derive a lot of joy out of that as well. I, I find that to be immensely uh, positive. Uh, it's, it's so easy to um, become downtrodden, uh, complacent, um, almost, you know, kind of become, you know, lose hope. Uh, but, I, but I'm finding that the opposite is true. I'm finding that people are, are digging in and pitching in and maintaining a very positive spirit and wanting to do great things. And um, instead of having a, a victim mentality, like, you know, this is terrible and, and it's getting worse, people are persevering. And I think the net effect of that is that we are serving our students in our community well. Um, people are working super hard, um, but I think they're contributing to the greater good overall. And so again, I, I find a lot of joy in that. That's another, you know, I, I get um, a ton of satisfaction um, just vicariously through our employees and, and just the great work that they're doing as well. You mentioned optimism and positivity. How do you find, how do you choose to do that, to have that perspective when there's so many other perspectives that are saying, be in fear. This is difficult. You, you even mentioned that. There's so much that's trying to weigh you down and help you, cause you to lose hope. So how do you, how are your people continuing to choose to be positive and optimistic? So the operative word there, I think, is choose. Um, you know, I have a choice. Um, I can approach um, everything from, um, some, from positive uh, or, or not positive. And um, I find that I expend or I, I can expend a whole lot of energy um, if, I, if I worry about things or if, if I take a negative view. Um, and so I would rather use that same amount of effort and energy looking at things posit positive. So, you know, we talk about best hopes or worst outcomes. I can spend my time just contemplating all the terrible, horrible things that could happen. Um, or I can spend my time looking at what my best hopes are um, and, and, and then where do I want to divert my energy? Uh, do I want to divert my energy and worrying about things and, 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 and being kind of unhappy? Or do I want to spend my energy thinking about optimism and, and the, the positive things that can happen? Um, there's always, you know, again, I, these are very serious times. I, I, I'm not capricious about things. I don't, um, I'm not dismissive. I mean, I, I recognize that every decision we make has, has impact, has importance. Um, but, but if I take an optimistic view of, of everything, quite honestly, um, then I'm, I'm hopeful it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, if, if I think things are going to be bad, then I guess they will be bad. If I think things are going to have a good outcome, then they will be, have a good and positive outcome. Um, and it's just where I choose to spend my energy. Um, and I would say 99 out of 100 times, um, you know, I will find the positive outcome in everything, you know, so I'm human, you know, there are, there are, some days are easier than others. And, you know, sometimes there are some challenges that are very complicated and complex, but I, but at the end of the day, I do feel like everything will, will work out fine and we'll have a positive outcome. And again, that's, it's really just where I choose to, to spend my, my energy. I think the difficulty in what you're saying is, so often people associate optimism and joy with 
being happy. And it, it's hard to be happy right now. But from my experience, I mean, you can be optimistic and joyful and not necessarily be happy at all times. I mean, joy is a, an emotion that's not contingent on just being ecstatic. Uh, we often think of it that way, but it's not necessarily true. Joy can happen in the weirdest and darkest places. Optimism can set in, in the, at rock bottom. I mean, you can be in an absolute terrible place, but still have that belief things are going to get better, and you look for the ways that's going to happen and follow that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really the the end game, right? So it's um, ultimately uh, it is having a sense of optimism, and so even in um, darker days or really complex or or, or bad situations, quite honestly, um, I I choose to have the belief that things will work out and things will have a good outcome, and um, you know, and there are very complex challenges. There is a lot of um, stressors on us as an organization as well as on us as individuals. But again, um, it's, it's this outlook forward thinking that here's where I am right now and here's where I hope to be um, and having that belief that it will work out and things will, will you know, kind of regain equilibrium or um, move in a more positive direction, again, is, is ultimately um, how I choose to approach, you know, my work and my life. So you've already mentioned a little bit of where you're finding hope and the the diligence and the tenacity of your employees and the the educators you oversee. Where else are you seeing hope around you? So our community, uh, and that's our 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 large community. Uh, you know, we serve uh, primarily Loveland and Bertha and a bit of Fort Collins. Um, is so extraordinarily, uh, the, the generosity is, is unbelievable. You know, whether we look at um, the, the number of volunteers that wanna still interface with our kids, you know, we, uh, tens of thousands of volunteer hours are given last year. I think I read a statistic that we had over 40,000 volunteer hours in our schools last year. And um, given our current pandemic, obviously access to our buildings are far more limited. Um, but but people are still finding ways to volunteer, and that might be like recording stories that you read to kids, but you could do that virtually, or um, you know helping in other ways that may not require a physical presence, but still are equally important. Um, our community has pitched in, uh, especially with food. You know we have a number of organizations that provide meals to our food insecure families, and um, just the the countless amounts of food that's been donated um, has been incredible. I, I work with one of the organizations through the Rotary Club. It's called Kids Pack, um, and um, you know it. They're tireless in their pursuit of, of providing food. To um, our area churches and houses of worship partner with many of our uh, schools, especially our title schools here in our district. Um, you know, providing meals, providing um, additional support. You know, the partnerships are so robust uh, and those um, that interface with our schools, they're just, they're just so giving. Um, I, you know, other ways people 
are being involved is just being engaged. Uh, you know, there's no shortage of feedback that I receive from members of our community. Um, they, uh, uh, I, I welcome the feedback. Uh, you know, sometimes the feedback, is some, some feedback is a little saltier than others, uh, but uh, um, it shows a level of engagement. I can handle emotion and passion. That just means people care. So, um, and they care deeply, especially when it comes to kids and children. I mean, that's gonna really be, um, really elevate um, a passion in, in those. And so people give me ideas uh, or thoughts or just feedback, and I accept that as that. I mean, and, and sometimes ideas are brought forward from members of our parent community and community that here, you know, as a staff, we haven't even really considered. And, and wow, that just really helps to reframe some of our thinking and perspective. So um, other ways that people get involved is just by, by sharing feedback. Um, I would say just globally speaking, I think our community has been supportive just with understanding. Um, I think by and large, um, people understand that, uh, you know, we, we have beliefs within our community that range the continuum from it's, it's not safe to return to school during any portion of this pandemic to kids need to be back in school like four days ago. And, you know, why aren't the schools wide open and everything in between. And so, you know, as a, as a school district, we're, you know, our, our eyes are first and foremost on education of kids um, and then certainly on the health and safety of all. And so trying to balance those needs um, sometimes creates some disagreements of perspective in terms of how we're doing that, but, but still not, uh, but, but generally speaking, um, good support within our community. So I think those would be some of the ways that, um, you know, our community has interfaced with us and has provided the support. And, and again, it, I'm very proud to be a member of this. You said a lot right there. I mean, there's so many elements that people, uh, where you're seeing hope, it's, I mean, uh, just some of the ones I heard of giving kind of authentic feedback, authentic interactions. And um, not, I mean, yeah, that's a, a definite place to start. Uh, being able to adapt. You were talking about the volunteers who are reading and who are recording things. So uh, utilizing technology in new ways, uh, just being aware and uh, open to or, or where what's going on in the school district that's critically important and just finding ways to come together and support one another yeah yeah geez I could spend about 20 minutes on each of those breaking down <laughs> each of those elements because they are they are just there's so much we can do right now as a community people feel helpless but they don't realize there are so many avenues available if they so choose. So I, I guess my follow-up question, my last question for you is, we're, we're trying to encourage people to join in hope, to find ways to hope together. So of all the ones you just shared with me, what is the most important for the Thompson School District? Uh, how can people join you? What's the most important thing they can do in that? So I think uh, having the recognition that um, Life certainly existed before the pandemic. Life exists during the pandemic, and life is going to certainly exist after the pandemic. Knowing and just believing and persevering, I think, would be really what I would hope that um, as we continue to emerge, um, you know, from the complexities of our current pandemic, to recognize that, um, you know, 
things are difficult, things are complex, um, but at the end of the day, we still exist um, to um, support our students, to support our families, support our community, that the work we're doing now is as important as it ever you know, has been, that we will, um, you know, we, we will fulfill our, our mission and our vision of, of, you know, why we exist as a school district. I think just having that realization that, um, you know, we will come out on the other side. And while we're, while we're still in our current situation, there's, there's a lot of good that's happening now, you know, that uh, even just the amount of learning that's taking place in, in evolution within just education, just with the virtual platforms, um, the amount of innovation, the amount of newness that we're discovering, um, you know, I, it's not all terrible. And actually having the community come together in such a way is, is just, it reinforces that community values and, and community support uh, now more than ever is is persevering and and will continue. So uh, I don't know. That's just a lot of words. Just to you know, I we're we're in a. I don't want the pandemic to define us or, or who we are. I mean, you know, we're still you know everything matters and is still important. And um, we're just being um, agile and creative, and and navigating through this and um, just finding things that are positive uh, about this. Sometimes it's very difficult and knowing that, you know, things will, you know, normal will never be normal again. And, and that's okay. You know, that we'll take our learning from everything we're, that's happening right now and we'll, we'll be better um, as, a, as an organization. And I think as a community and society. So it's understanding that we are all in the same storm and trying to find ways to get through it. That's the, the biggest way we can join together in hope, in your opinion. I think that's uh, well stated. And if they wanted to come and digitally volunteer at a school, you would accept that hope as well? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, plenty of ways that we can uh, have involvement, and we would welcome that. Yes, indeed. There are always ways to hope. There are always things to do, and education would be a wonderful place to do that. Well, Superintendent Schaefer, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for all you're doing, all your teachers and employees are doing. Uh, it is such a valuable service to be literally one of the anchors of our community. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about this. I, I found it uh, very energizing, so thanks so much for the opportunity. Well, thank you, and blessings to you. Thank you. a choice. I don't know about you, but that line struck me a little as off-putting when I heard him say it. You can probably tell, but I'm a bit of a pessimist myself. I see the glass of water as half empty, more negative issues than positive issues and the things I deal with every day. So this idea of choosing hope, this idea of purposefully deciding to be optimistic. That was a bit foreign to me until I really sat down and thought about it. And after I did, I, I think it's true. 
You can choose to be hopeful. You can choose to be optimistic. Out of the entire realm of things you can choose to do in any given second, the many options there are in front of you for you to undertake, one of those entails more hope than the others. And if you change your perspective, if you see your situation or the issue you're facing in a slightly different manner, it can open up even more positive avenues for you to pursue. The trick is trying to center yourself in that, being mindful of that. That's where I kind of suffer, I think. I'm perennially looking for the bad things in life. I'm perpetually expecting more of Murphy's Law to happen. You know, the old adage of anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yeah, my friends in college used to compare me to Eeyore from The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. There's a, a very apt similarity in our personalities, I do have to say. I know it sounds odd for somebody like a pastor to admit that, but again, I struggle with hope sometimes. It's a challenging thing for me. I constantly have to remind myself to look for it, to remind myself that it exists in the hard times. I'll put it this way, friends. You are what you look for. If you're constantly looking for the negative things in life, you will find them. If you are looking for hope, that will come to you. One of my pastor colleagues from Texas shared a story about this that I thought phrased it beautifully, so I'll end our podcast off with it. It was about a time he went home to visit his mother, who was quite old at the time, and Walking in, he saw a giant mason jar full of nails, rusty nails, construction nails, sitting on her kitchen table. He was confused, so he said, Mom, what's with this giant jar of nails? She said, Well, I love to go out and walk in the neighborhood, and I just always seem to find nails. So I collect them. That's what I've gotten over the past year. So... He went out on a walk with his mother later on, this pastor, and he noticed that while she was walking, she was intentionally looking for more nails. Her head was straight down at the sidewalk. She was missing the beautiful day outside, the blooming trees, the birds that were singing. She was missing so much because she was zoomed in trying to find nails. So the pastor asked her at the end of the walk, Mom, why don't you try to find something else besides nails? Why don't you keep your head up and look for something useful? If you're going to look down, look for treasure or something. Look for some coins, some spare change people have dropped. So he left and came back a few months later because he lived out of state. And he walked in to see that the same mason jar was sitting on the dining room table. But this time it was filled with pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. He said, Mom, I see that you took my advice. She said, Yes, I did. I started looking around for change, for treasure, and it opened my eyes to where these good things could be found. I didn't have to be looking for nails. There are better things out there to find. It's a great story, and that just kind of translates so beautiful to us here in the COVID age. We're constantly looking at the negative things, the nails of political dis disagreements and racial unrest and all the issues that are sticking and hurting us. But are we walking 
over treasure at the same time? Are we missing some coins of hope that are there for the taking? Mark Schaefer can see those coins. So again, as I always say when I sign off, look for hopers like Mark Schaefer. Look for the people who can look at your situation as dark as it is and say, hey, there's the light. Let's follow it together. Look for the hopers, friends. We'll look forward to our next episode. I've got a very interesting interview on tap, hopefully for the end of December, beginning of January. Talking to a good friend of mine, Dr. Melanie Peffer, who is an a adjunct professor at CU Boulder. She's going to tell us what life has been like for people in the higher education world above Mark Schaefer's pay grade and what it's been like being a millennial mom trying to grow her career and to and balance the needs of her family at the same time. I, I related to this one more than any conversation I've had so far. It was definitely mirroring a lot of what my family's gone through. So I hope it will help you find hope in your households, those of you who are dealing with what we are. And for those of you who are not, you'll get an interesting insight to what the young people around you are feeling. Anyway, that's next time. Until then, keep the hope, my friends. Keep the faith. Keep going. Take care. Loveland Strong Podcast is done in association with Trinity United Methodist Church of Loveland, Colorado. For any questions or feedback, please email us at lovelandstrong at gmail.com. Thank you so much for being with us. See you next time.